Agree or disagree? If you agree with what I have to say, you agree. And if you disagree with what I'm about to say, then you disagree. Got it? Okay. Agree or disagree? No. What you look at is what you see. What you look at is what you see. Whoa. Agree or disagree? Confusion amongst us all. Some of you are kind of wondering, how am I going to be bamboozled by how I answer? Well, yes, you should agree that, yes, what your eyes are looking at, that's what you see, and that's a physical sense, right? That light coming into your eye, hitting your brain, however that hits it, that's one side of seeing. But there is a side of seeing that our brain is selecting out what we see. It's processing, it's thinking things through. Maybe consciously we're choosing what we see, maybe unconsciously we're choosing what we see. You know, I was reading about this. Do you know about these things? Like Amy has these sitting right in my view. So if I'm looking at Amy, right now I see her, and you all, my brain fills in, but my brain isn't really able to focus on any of you. I can only see one thing. Do you know about these kinds of things with your brain and seeing? Well, it's true. So sometimes our brain chooses. Sometimes we choose what we see. It's complicated. So here's a video about selective seeing. Let's take a look. Good morning, Hannah. Gold Trapper. This week's average, 453-calorie deficit. I'm at... Now just stick it in the microwave, set the timer, and you're ready to eat in one minute. Utilizing our new analytic system, social media traction is up 110%. We have more engagement than ever. <sighs> hey. I'm sorry I'm late. Also, I got a call from work and now I have a heart out at 1.30. That's in 15 minutes. I know, I'm sorry. I'm tracking my water intake. You should be tracking your water intake. Okay. Seriously, it'll blow your mind. The amount of energy I have, I feel 10 years younger. Listen, um, my mom. <sighs> this is my boss, I'm sorry, I have to take this. Can I wait? No, 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 you'd kill me if I made it wait. I was saying to Hannah earlier, our response times are down 74% from where they were four months ago. These numbers are unacceptable. Hannah, what do you have to add? Yeah, um, I... I have to go. Ding, ding, ding. Pay attention to me. Sometimes we're seeing things and we're missing what's happening. And it's something that happens just because of the lives we live and if the video is encouraging us to look away from our screens. But there's something even more about how we see and what God wants us to see. And we're in this series this summer, Whispers from the Heart. And a word that has been whispered to me lately is this idea of seeing, you know, wanting to see what God sees, see people how God sees people, you know, seeing God's reality around me rather than my preconceived notions or my biases or my ideas. Here's my predicament. I'm headed to Israel in a few hours. Time is ticking to go to Israel. So, I don't know, I've never been to Israel, so I'm excited to go, 
But here's the predicament. I've never been there, but I've been there in my mind a bazillion times. I've lived in the story of the Bible of first century Israel. You know, I learned Hebrew, so I, you know, learned their language 2,000 years ago. And so, I'm expecting when we get off the airplane, we're going to get off and we're going to open the doors and there will be first century Israel. Jesus is going to be there wearing his toga-like garb with sandals. We're going to ride a camel over to the hotel. And then it's going to be one of those little stone buildings, which is a couple rooms, you know, like Mary and Joseph stopped at, but there was no room for them at the inn. That's what I'm expecting because I've lived in my mind in first century Israel so much. But I know, just as much as you know, that that's not what I will see when I get off the plane. Do you know that they have cars in Israel now? It's crazy. So I'm going to, like, have my mind expectations reoriented. I'm going to be sad when we don't ride a donkey to the hotel because that's what my expectation is. It's going to be hard. And you might think that I'm kidding, and I am not. This is honestly what I expect. I'm really expecting Jesus to be there with 12 disciples sitting under an olive tree talking. And that will not be my experience. So this is what I'm expecting to see, but I won't see that. And so how will my brain create what I want to see? So obviously this is a pretty epic trip for me, and I'm excited to go. And in trying to prepare, um, part of the image I have is like an olive and squeezing all the oil out of the olive until the olive is just crushed and just disintegrating, right? And all the oil's out. And I think that is, in my expectation of Israel, what I'm going to do to Israel. Just squeeze it so hard that Israel's crushed. And I don't know what. I just don't know what to do. Because I'm so excited, but I don't want to be disappointed either. So in preparing to go, I've been reading the accounts, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And in reading, I've been seeing this theme of seeing. And Jesus is talking about having eyes but can't see. And having your eyes open to see what God can see. So in my reading, I came across this one story that has jumped off the page and has really hung with me, and I want to share it with you this morning. So in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John, but in those three accounts, there's a story of a man possessed by demons who is restored. So there's a story of this man, right? And he is tormented by demons. He's living you know, across the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus and his 12, they sail over. And if you remember the story before, they're sailing. Jesus falls asleep. A big storm comes up. Remember this? And then what happens? They wake up Jesus because they think they're going to die in the storm. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm. Well, then they glide across Gal Lake Galilee, land on the other side, and here's this crazy naked man who runs at them. Right? You remember the story? It's crazy. It's just unusual. You know, he's demon-possessed, he's naked, living among tombs, away from people, he's cutting himself with rocks, and the town people have tried to chain him to protect maybe himself from himself or from them, but he breaks the chains. So this story is standing out to me, and this is a little bit of my expectation problem for Israel, that we're going to arrive there and naked men will be running, screaming, so this lake Galilee experience is going to be interesting. But the, you know that that's not going to happen. At least I don't think it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen. But 
we're going to go on the lake, Lake Galilee, we're going to go across, and my first century expectations, I have to set those aside, and I have to live in that moment, in 2017, and that's the problem. I have this 21st century experience and this first century experience, and they're coming together. What am I going to do? There's my predicament. So, just because it's fun to look at pictures, here is a boat that they found in Lake Galilee and the first century. So this could have been the boat, probably wasn't, but could have been the boat Jesus was sailing on. Here's an artistic rendition of what the boat looked like, the sail, the rocky shore. And then here's the boat we're going to be on. So gasoline, again, a motor, tootling around. It's going to be a different experience. I'm excited. Well, the question is this story. What do we do with this story? How does this story help us see what God sees? And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we see? Or more accurately, how are we able to see? You know, because it's beyond seeing with our eyes, and now it's seeing with our mind and our heart and our soul, seeing with what God has opened us up to see. So, let's watch a video of this story and put yourself in that in that moment and try to imagine what you would see. How would you experience a demon-possessed man? Let's take a look. So they arrived at the other side of the lake. I hope there's a narrator in, the in my experience around. Just as Jesus was climbing from the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit ran out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the tombs and could not be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to control him. All day long and throughout the night, he would wander among the tombs and in the hills, screaming and hitting himself with stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. He ran to meet Jesus and fell down before him. Come out of the man, you evil spirit. He gave a terrible scream, shrieking. Why are you bothering me, Jesus, son of the most high God? For God's sake, don't torture me. What is your name? Legion, because there are many of us here inside this man. Then the spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the evil spirits begged. Jesus gave them permission. So the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And 
the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake where they were drowned. The herdsmen fled to the nearby city and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Everyone rushed out to see for themselves. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, but they were frightened when they saw the man who had been demon-possessed. For he was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. Those who had seen what happened to the man and to the pigs told everyone about it. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. When Jesus got back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go too. But Jesus said, No, go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to tell everyone about the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. How are you doing? You see that? Is it in your first century Israel bucket of your brain? And how does that live over here in our 2017 experience? You know, as you put yourself in that story and you're riding the boat across the lake and you arrive at the side of the lake and here comes a crazy, naked, screaming man at you. You know, what do you see? We know a little bit about what the town around saw just by their experience and what they did. You know, they saw a threat to their safety. They saw somebody who was threatening to them. Or they saw somebody who just makes them uncomfortable. You know, somebody who doesn't fit in their categories, and so they don't know what to do with him. So they just kind of keep him at arm's distance. Or maybe they just saw him as a problem, you know, a hassle to deal with. You know, how we'd like to go the shortcut way, but we can't walk by that guy, so we have to walk the long way around. He's a problem, a hassle. You know, the townspeople perhaps had good intentions in chaining him up, maybe to protect himself from himself if he's hurting himself. You know, good intentions to protect him, you know, from himself or to protect themselves from him. But they're responding to him with some fear, some uncomfortableness, not knowing what to do. And I think of the 12 disciples with Jesus, they get out of the boat and they're probably also like, uh, crazy guy, what is going on? They're probably thinking the same things, like, hey, Jesus, chain this guy up for us, would you? But what about Jesus? What does Jesus see? When that man comes running at them, what does Jesus see? I think that Jesus sees, yes, the demons, and he sees the man. And most importantly, he sees the man. Jesus is able to look past the demons, to look past the external circumstances that are on that man's life, and look through that to see the man created in the image of God, loved by God, and to see into him. 
And doesn't that give us great hope? That Jesus has eyes to see beyond these circumstances for all of our lives. You know, here's this most crazy example of a guy cutting himself, living in isolation, just screaming, not wearing any clothes. And Jesus sees him, the man, looks past all that and doesn't hold that man at fault for how he's, how he's acting. He doesn't blame him. He says, okay, yeah, those demons are messing with you, and I see you. So he doesn't get out of the boat and say, hey, guys, look at this crazy guy. Instead, Jesus probably says, hey, look at this man. There's something in there that needs to be freed. Somebody in there who has dignity and value and worth, who is made in the image of God, and whatever is going on in their life circumstance, that guy needs to be freed and restored to full humanity. So this morning, take note of how important it is how we see and what we see. You know, if you see someone as a problem, you know, a hassle in your life, if that's how you see somebody, how do you treat that person? Yeah, like a problem and a hassle in your life. And they're just a nuisance. But you think about that same person and somebody else in their life might know a little bit more of their story, have a little compassion on them and an understanding. How do they treat the person who's suffering with a burden that they cannot bear? Often that person is able to see the person and look past the circumstances. You know, in our lives, you know, we bump into strangers and we just get this presenting image of who they are. We get the external stuff, the external issues of who they are. We don't get the whole story. You know, and how often is it when you get and you bump into a stranger, a person, and you get that little external, and then you just fill the backstory in, usually in a negative way. You're like, ah, that person made bad choices, and they're a bad person. It's the root of their character. Rather than looking past some of that external stuff to look into the person, who they are, who they can become if they can work through some of that stuff. You know, or how about some people in our life that are closer? You actually do know their whole story. So when they are a problem, you know why they're acting out that way. How do, how do you treat them when you know the whole story? You treat them a little more gracefully. Give them a little extra amount of grace. And you love that person, no matter what the externals are. Although that's not always true, is it? <laughs> because there's problem people in your life that you know and they just have these patterns of behavior over and over and over, and they just seem stuck there, and you're just tired of it. You don't care what their reason is anymore. And no longer do you see them, you just see their pattern of behavior. Maybe those people are even harder to look into and see who they are and have hope for them, and hope that God's grace can release them. Well, I came face-to-face with this thing happening to me a couple weeks ago. I was with a friend in she received a message about her husband's friend's daughter who took her own life. Wow. And heard a little bit of the story details of, you know, she just, she had a baby, she had postpartum depression, her husband's a pastor, they were separated. And I wish that my response would have been different than what it was. But my initial response that jumped up in me was, blame. 
just to blame that young pastor guy. Be like, what is his deal? What's his problem? And be mad at him, be angry at him. And in that kind of muddling around in my negative thought response, God gladly prompted me. God said to me, he's like, no, you don't know the whole story. And I thought about that, no, I don't know the whole story. I don't know what's going on. I don't know all the details. I'm just jumping to a conclusion. And in that, I just was turned over to compassion. You know, that anger subsided and compassion settled in. Because now I can see, ah, this is a huge tragedy in this guy's life. Here's a moment for him where he might be blaming himself. He might be wallowing in the depths of despair because this happened. And here I am adding to it by blaming and putting it on him. Ah. So the last thing he needed with that was from me. So I responded. I texted my friend just because I didn't want that blame to exist in me and encouraged this to not happen for others as well. I wrote this in a text. First, we should have prayed for your husband's friend's family. Like, first pastoral fail. Like, in your response bucket, the first thing you do is just drop in prayer and turn your eyes to God. Didn't do that. But second, my reaction to blame the husband was triggered, and God reminded me, no, that's not the case. I don't know the story. And with that came some compassion for the husband now left behind. So my thought for you is that you have an opportunity to hold that husband in grace. And I imagine, but maybe this is not the case, but I imagine he will be blamed and he will blame himself. And right now he needs some crazy amount of God's grace for his own forgiveness and moving forward. You know, this is a huge opportunity for the evil one to take a foothold in his life and in others around him. The redemptive story will be people taking the risk to come alongside him and correct the wrong thinking that may be happening. Ah, I'm sad that my initial response was to blame him. But I was so glad for God's prompt, that reminder that God sees beyond the external, just details of a story, sees right down to the person, what they're in, what their moment is. And God sees them with eyes of love and care and compassion. And I hope for that guy that in that time, others came alongside him and held him up, reminding him of that. And I just, I pray that same thing will continue for him as he goes in the ups and downs of his experience. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the equation of challenging life event plus response equals outcome. And this morning, I want to add to that seeing. Challenging life event plus what you see plus your response equals outcome. Because how often is it that our response is actually directed and guided by what we see and how we see it? You know, already in our story, we see the difference between how Jesus saw the man and how he responded to him versus how the town and perhaps how the disciples saw him. We see that difference in how he saw and then the follow-up response. Now I want to look at the other side. The man is now restored. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. Now what do you see? 
Who do you see? Well, there's two things that happened that brought him to this moment. You know, the man is sitting there restored, and there are 2,000 pigs seemingly out in the lake. Which one is more interesting to you? The man restored or 2,000 pigs swimming around in the lake or dead in the lake? I don't know. Obviously, the pigs are way more interesting. Isn't it just fascinating? What happened to these pigs? We all want to know. But the story doesn't tell us. You know, here's this man restored, but it's the pigs, and we wonder about them. You know, did, did they die? It was a steep hill, but I don't know. Did they die? Did they drown? Are they still swimming around? If they're still swimming around, are they just crazy pigs? Is this where bacon gets the reputation of being sinfully delicious? I don't know. So many questions. But it's interesting, what do they see? There's kind of an ethical question I think that the town saw, two kind of ethical dilemmas. First ethical dilemma of, here's Jesus, he gives permission for the demons to go into the pigs, and the pigs go off and are gone. Did Jesus just help one man and destroy financially a whole group of other people? You know, that was their livelihood, that was their food, that was their income. Did Jesus just mess with their life? It's important, I think, detail that the demons request to be sent into the pigs. So that it's not on Jesus and his culpability, but it's on the demons. That they asked for that, and Jesus simply gave them permission. But also there's a second ethical question. You know, who is more important? The man or the pigs? Who's more important? You know, the man or the pig's owners and the people that were going to be fed by those pigs. You know, if we're weighing things, who's more important? And there's kind of an ethical question in that, in this interesting story. You'll have to figure that out on your own. We look first at Jesus, man, crazy man, runs at him, how Jesus sees the man. Now, how do you see that man sitting there in his right mind clothed. Again, the townspeople, they don't even seem to see him. They're focused on the pigs. And they don't even seem to see them. And perhaps they're even saying, kind of with that, ignoring, we don't see you because you're something we don't know what to do with and you're outside of our category. We're just going to not look over your way. We're going to focus on the pigs. You know, they don't know what to do. That's their response. And isn't it fascinating, their response, where they say, Jesus... Will you just go away? Oh. Here they are. If you think about that formula, the challenging life event, you lost all your pigs. What do they see? They just see loss of income. They are not seeing the Son of God right in front of them. They're not seeing all that's going on in this story around them. And so their response is simply fear and, hey, Jesus, go away from us. I can only hope for them in this story, and I think this is true, I can only hope that this event was like Jesus planting a seed in this town. You know, this was a Gentile town, a place that wasn't a Jewish place where Jesus would normally go, but it was a, kind of a special occurrence where Jesus was interacting with some Gentiles. And Jesus was planting a seed there. 
that these people all experience this. They know. They're like, okay, that Jesus guy and the pigs, remember that? And then as they're hearing more and more about Jesus because they're living right there on the lake. And then when Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead, all those people, hopefully that seed is now growing and taking root and becoming something in their life where they're like able to see God. Like never before. Because they're like, oh, that happened. We saw it happen. We can understand that, yes, he could have rose from the dead. And just how that seed grew. And the testimony of that man. So encouraged. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is, restores this man, and the man says, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to go with you. What a great response. Jesus says, in such a kind tone, I love that video, kind tone of words of, hey, you can't come with me because I have a job for you here. Go, just tell people what happened. Say, I was that crazy man, and now look at me. Look at what God has done in my life to restore me. And that is how God wants to see you, what God wants to do in your life as well. So how did Jesus see that man? Think about him seeing the man coming up to him crazy. Jesus saw him as a man with dignity, honor, value, made in the image of God. So when the demons are out and he's sitting right there in front of him, Jesus sees him perhaps the exact same way. He's like, oh, yeah, there you are. I'm not surprised. I saw you before. Now I see you without the demons. Same person. And it's such a beautiful picture for all of our lives. You know, we all, maybe we are not demon-possessed, but we all have lots of issues and stuff that just possess us and hold us down. And Jesus can look past all that stuff in our own lives and see, oh, there you are. I see you, and I want you to come out. You know, I don't want you to be bogged down by bitterness or anger or greed. I don't want you to be bogged down by these things. I want you to be free. I want you to be the person I made you to be and to live that out. Well, I'm going to Israel in just a couple hours, so I better wrap this up. What about you? How is your seeing? How is your seeing what God sees? there can be any encouragement to you this morning, just that you have it on your mind to see people around you deeper than just the external. Just past the presenting self and look deeper into them to know that people around us are made in the image of God. They are loved by God and we should give them that love as well. You know, so as you encounter a stranger this week, you know, those first impressions jump up where you know, you see a person in your life, whoa, they are dressed fancy, they have a lot of power and position, and I just put all my categories on that person. Rather than cutting through that and seeing that you are a person loved by God, cared for by him, and I give that same kind of respect to, to you. Or how about the kind of normally dressed person? If you saw me bumping around town, you'd probably not even see me because I look so normal. But to see somebody... Because they're not creating a lot of drama around themselves. You just see them and like, ah, I noticed you. And I noticed that you were loved by God. And to give them that. You know, how about the hard person in your life? Ah, this is hard, I must admit. There's some hard people in my life that I just would rather not see. But they come into my view and I have to see them. And so I'm required to look past all that stuff that bothers me 
and to remember God's grace is greater and to say, God, give me grace to love this person like you love and help me be a part of their being freed from whatever it is that's holding them back, that's bugging me. Ah, well, I'm going to Israel and my eyes hopefully will be opened in a unique way. And I hope for all of us that God is opening our eyes to see the world as he sees it and to keep our eyes open. So we don't shut them back down, but so we keep our eyes open to the world that he wants us to see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of opening our eyes that we can see what you see. It's the miracle that you do in our lives, that we move beyond just the regular everyday and we see life differently. We see the spiritual realm of you at work, at work in our own lives to transform us and the work that you're doing in every person around us. God, I pray that you would help us see the story and the journey of people and to offer your grace to each person that we bump into. God, I pray that we would tap into your abundance so that we can be abundant with others. God, send us out into this week with our eyes wide open for you. Pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. As we approach the communion table this morning,